Colleen and Brenton. Um, he speaks right across Australia, speaking all different churches around um, Australia, as well as leads an organisation called Mustard, which is empowering youth to live out faith in their community. So can we give him a warm welcome as he comes and brings a word? Thank you. Uh, please grab a seat, guys. It's uh, wonderful to be with you here in sunny Perth. Thank you for turning on the weather for me. I am from not-so-sunny Melbourne, uh, and, uh, but I can say it's, it's remarkably warmer. If it was this overcast in, uh, in Melbourne and that breeze coming through, I would be shivering like no tomorrow. It would be icy. This is really mild, so I'm enjoying the warm weather. <laughs> yeah, I know you all think I'm crazy, right? Um, it was funny, actually, in, in, a few weeks ago I was in Townsville, and uh, of course it's, you know, late June, early July while I was there, and, and it's sun shining, 25 degrees, and blue skies, and all the locals are in Ugg boots and beanies, and, uh, and I'm running up and down the beach in my shorts. <laughs> all the pasty Victorians are there, turning it on for the world to see. Anyway, we're not here to talk about me in shorts, because that's just weird. Uh, my name is Brenton, as introduced, and, uh, and I lead a, a ministry called Mustard out of Melbourne, and it's a, it's a student movement that we're seeing grow nationally now. Um, a, a few years ago, you may recall, there was a whole lot of discussion around the role of religious services in secondary schools. Uh, it's clearly making it tougher for people like me to, to, be, uh, to be doing schools ministry, um, as a Christian, uh, openly and, and without, without you know, any sort of barriers. And there were some restrictions put in place, which meant that myself and volunteers and others like us were no longer allowed to actually enter the school property. And so uh, we, we had a, a decision to make. Are we done? Do we pack up and do we go home or do we find a new way? I started to do some, some maths. I, I looked around. Uh, the, I'm a bit of a numbers person, so I looked across the state. There's about 405,000 students in Victoria. Uh, if I have a conservative estimate, therefore, seven, five to 7% might be committed followers of Jesus, which would kind of mirror the national average as we know it, uh, which is a very conservative estimate. So we know that, therefore, there's about 27,000 Christian students in schools every day in our state. Uh, living, hopefully, and uh, finding a way to, to live a, a full faith life amidst their peers. Now, the Christian church in Australia has done really well. The Christian church in Victoria has done really well over the years. But we could never boast 27,000 volunteers going into schools every day, five days a week for 40 weeks of the year. But in effect, that's kind of what we have. And so we had this crazy idea, which is not new but we decided to give it a good go. What would happen if we mobilised them? What would happen? What, what could potentially happen? And so we, we went from being reduced to about 15 kind of lunchtime groups meeting in as many schools across the city, uh, and that quickly became 20 groups, quickly became 28, 32, uh, and we started this year with 54 lunchtime groups meeting of Christian students in as many schools, and not just in Melbourne, we now have a bunch meeting in South Australia, and, uh, and I'm here this week to have some meetings with schools to explore what could potentially happen. Now, can I just say straight up, I'm pro-chaplaincy. I love chaplains. I've been a high school chaplain. I'm not suggesting we replace chaplaincy. Uh, this is another way that we can be strategic about future-proofing schools ministry in our nation, regardless of what the government decides on our behalf. Amen? Excellent. So that's a little bit about us. Uh, now, because of this role, um, basically, that means that... Just let me make sure I'm good here. Yeah, we're good to go. Excellent. That means that I do a little bit of travel. And, uh, and this particular day, I was travelling a flight between Adelaide and Sydney. And um, now, I am notoriously late to the airport. I am that guy that is being paged over the PA. 
You know the one I'm talking about? Mr. Brenton Colleen, please make your way to departure gate 912. Your plane is boarded and now ready for departure. That's usually me. And so uh, this day, however, I was on time. Not only was I on time, I was first to the departure gate and first on the plane, which is just like remarkable. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I'm sitting on the plane feeling really good about myself. It's like I discovered this whole new world. It's like when you're on time, you don't feel anxiety. It's incredible, you know, and I'm sitting really chuffed with myself and I'm watching people get on the plane. Now, I have to confess, I am a bit of a people watcher, not in a psycho stalker kind of way, more so I'm just fascinated by human behavior. And I watched People are getting on, and there are, there are families with toddlers. And they're, they're <laughs> if you've ever watched uh, somebody try to get a toddler into a seat with the seatbelt on on a plane, that is a full contact sport. Like that is incredible. And and so I'm watching that happen. And then there were people who were suited up, clearly heading off for business meetings for the day. And then one lady gets on, and I noticed it from a distance because she she looked uh, rather pale. I could tell that she probably wasn't very well, and it was a fair way off. And, and she walked down the aisle, and she stopped, and she stood next to where I was sitting. I was sitting in the center seat. She needed to get to the window seat. And she, she kind of looked at me. She said, oh, I need to get across there. And I'm like, fine. So you do the weird, like, twisty thing, and she kind of climbs over. Now, as she passed, um, and, and I say this with all respect, that there was um, a bit of an odor that kind of followed her. And and, and, and what I mean by that was she was obviously not well and she had probably been sick that morning. And I'm, I'm thinking, really sorry for her. I mean, there is nothing worse than traveling when you're feeling unwell, especially if you've already been sick that morning. And I thought, well, maybe I can brighten a day, right? And so I turned her and I said, hi, how are you? I'm, I'm Brenton. And she just looked at me and she just went, uh-uh. <laughs> As if to say, not today, pal. We are not having this conversation. I thought, I will leave her alone. I keep watching people get on. I noticed another lady get on, but I noticed her for a different reason because she was just glowing. You know, like some people just look fully alive. You know, she was just radiant, beautiful. And uh, the other reason I noticed her was she was wearing a habit. She was a Catholic nun, and you don't often see that very much these days. And so she floated down the center aisle because that's what nuns do. She floated down the center aisle and she stopped at my row and she sat down next to me. And I got really excited. I'm like, this is incredible. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation uh, with nuns before, but they are learned people. They study forever. They're usually involved in deep humanitarian work. Like there's a lot to be excited about. And I'm thinking, we can talk philosophy and theology and all the things I'm interested in. And so I turned to her and I said, hey, how are you? I'm Brenton. And she just did this really weird thing. She just looked back at me and she just went, <laughs> okay, I guess we're continuing the flight. <laughs> Maybe she's on a silent retreat or something. Flight takes off. We hit the air. Uh, trays come down. It was a Qantas flight, so we got a free feed. The food hits now. Have you ever noticed when the food comes out on a plane that it always smells the same? No matter what they're serving, that smell that wafts through the cabin, and if you're feeling unwell, that is the worst smell on the planet, right? And so the lady next to me starts to have a few problems. She's like, <sighs> she turns to me, she says, oh, I need to get out. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? We're strapped in, the trays are down, like this is not easy. But she's not well, and I don't like the other prospect of what could follow if she doesn't get out, right? So I turned to the, the nun to my right, and I said, excuse me, would you mind moving out? And she looks at me, and she says, huh? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Lady to my left starts to panic a bit. <sighs> I need to really get out. And I'm like, I can see that. And I said, excuse me, would you mind 
She just looks at me and smiles. She goes, ah. <laughs> I think that is not the answer I want, right? And the lady to my left really starts to panic. <laughs> She's like, I need to get out now. And, of course, I panic because I'm having visions of what is about to transpire. And I don't like the way this ends whatsoever. So I turn to the number and I grab her on the shoulder, right? The poor thing. She looks at me like I'm some weirdo. And I'm saying, excuse me, would you please move? And she turns back to me and she just says, turns out she was Spanish, didn't speak a word of English. I know you're dying to know how that story ends and we will get to that, but not right now. (laughs) Here I am on this flight on a direction toward a particular destination. To the left of me, it's like the bile of the universe is about to drop into my lap, right? And I am stuck. There is nowhere for me to go. To the right of me is this person who represents something that is good and wonderful and holy and hope-filled. But do you think I can connect with her? No. And here's what I've learned over over many, many years and uh, in all of my 43 years on this planet. Most people I meet at some point find themselves stuck between the fear of what is about to transpire and the hope of what they wish could actually happen and they live their lives stuck in the middle absolutely well and truly stuck it's like they're afraid to move beyond that which could could actually be really difficult and hard for them but they can't find a way to connect with that which is good and wonderful and holy and hope-filled Now, we are not the first people to experience this in our lives. In fact, right through Scripture, we see people who find themselves in almost that exact situation minus the plane, uh, because planes didn't come until much later in history, and uh, yet they find themselves stuck in this moment, and they have a choice. They can either stay in that experience of fear because it's comfortable in some ways, familiar, it's something that they know, it's, 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 it's something that they understand, or they can step toward the one who offers that hope, that freedom, and the promise of what is to come. It's a big opportunity before them. We're going to read together this morning a scripture that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but I want to try and, I guess, unpack it in a way that might bring a fresh perspective. So I invite you as we read this to read it as if you've never read it before. And it's possible that you're here for the first time and perhaps this is a new story to you. You have a distinct advantage over everybody else if that is you this morning. So let's take a moment and read this, uh, read this passage. And I'm reading from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, feel free. Otherwise, here is one we prepared earlier. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, 
Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That is a remarkable story. I love the way the writer just casually drops in, and they walked on water. I've never seen anybody walk on water. This, this is actually kind of unbelievable in the true sense of the word. It doesn't actually make sense as we understand the physical realm. It doesn't make sense. I, I happen to believe the Bible and what the Bible says. But I do have to acknowledge that some of what we read often appears unbelievable. This is genuinely unbelievable, I think. It's out, of, it's out of this world. It's not like anything we would understand. And I'm trying to skip to the next slide and it's not working, guys. Here we go. So, here we have this situation. The disciples are out on the lake. Storm rolls in. Jesus is moving toward them. They are terrified. Now, that would be terrifying because, again, none of us have walked on water. I'm assuming if you have, awesome. <laughs> Please tell me about it. Uh, they are terrified. And the, the question that is called out to Jesus by Peter as they see him, there is a little glimpse of faith in this guy, Peter, who is incredible. I really appreciate Peter. Uh, he is uh, an, an amazing person. If you read through the scriptures and you come to understand how he was motivated, how he was wired, the things that he did, I identify with him. He's kind of one foot in, one foot out, one foot in, one foot out. He's a klutz at times. Other times, he's the greatest person in history on whom Jesus will build his church, right? And Peter summons this little bit of faith to call out to this, this figure that is walking towards them on the, on, the, on the lake. And he says, Lord, if it is you, call to me and I will come. That is a gutsy thing to do. To acknowledge that the one who claimed to be the living God is potentially before your midst, performing a miracle at that moment, and to have the, the boldness to say, call me out on the water and I will come. That is a bold statement of faith, if ever I've heard one. Bold statement of faith, if it is you. And I think Jesus' response is really relevant when he says to Peter, yes, it's me, come. Right? He says, it is me. Now, if you want to do a little bit of Bible study around this text, you'll notice when Jesus refers to himself by saying, it is I, he's actually, if you get back to some of the root words and some of the original text, you know that he's using a similar word that was understood to be translated to the way we read the words, I am, in the Old Testament, when God refers to himself as the I am. And so, effectively, Jesus is saying to Peter very clearly, I am God, and I want you to come. I am the God of the universe that you understand and know and would have had an education in at some point as a good Jewish lad. I am that God and I am inviting you to come. Now that has got to do something for one's faith, right? When the God of the universe says, yep, I'm him, that's me. You have nothing to fear. You can come to me. I am saying to you, come out if you want to come out because I am who you say I am and who you understand me to be. Now, interestingly, the other disciples are probably cowering away and hiding at this point. Fair enough. It was a pretty messy storm. 
But Peter has taken a really bold step of faith at this point. And I love that Peter's confidence to step out in faith is found in Jesus, his understanding of who Jesus is, and Jesus' invitation to him. How many times in the context of our lives when we have felt stuck, when we find ourselves uh, cowering about the fear that we carry because of the circumstances and situation to one side of us, but living, wanting to to, to move toward that which is hope-filled, how many times do we find that the God of the universe somehow finds a way to present himself even amidst the challenges, even amidst the storm, saying, hey, you know who I am. Come with me. Just step forward. You got this because I've got you. Sometimes we're bold enough to go there. Other times we're not. And I think the reason we're sometimes bold enough to go there is because we're able to draw the distinction between what it is we believe and our actual faith step. You see, faith is an action It's not just something we understand. And if you're looking for an an intellectual, uh, um, uh, an infallible intellectual argument as to why the God of the Christian faith exists, I'm really sorry, but I can't give you one. But what I can do is tell you that those who come to understand more who God God is in the world are those who move in faith toward him continuously, over and over. You want to walk on water? Get out of the boat. And that's exactly what Peter does. I liken it to, um, I have two daughters. Uh, I remember my eldest when she was little, Christmas time. She would have been about a year and a half old. And, uh, of course, we, we spent up on Christmas presents because we knew at some point in the future um, there would be photos taken and, and we would look back on that and we didn't want to appear cheap. So, um, so we spent way too much, and uh, we, we would build up this beautiful Christmas gift at the bottom of the trees, and, and, and my, my, youngest, my eldest daughter would get there, and she was ripping off the paper and having a great time, you know. The paper was, it was just all coming off, and, and, and I'm excited because I'm like, she's going to have this gift. She's going to be able to play with it. It's going to bring so much joy into her life. She's going to embrace it. She's going to have fun with it. This is something that she will spend time on and engage with and, and enjoy and do all that. And so she's ripping the paper off. And then there's a pile of paper next to the present. She looks at the present. She looks at the paper. And then she goes back to playing with the paper. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? Do you not know how much money I spent on this gift? You're missing out here. The whole point of this gift is not the paper. Now, here's what I notice about a lot of believers, right? We are so enamored by what we've come to understand through our salvation, and that is important. Hear me, guys. Salvation is important. It matters, right? But our, the gift that our salvation unwraps is a life lived in faith. That is where we find joy. That is where we find meaning. That is where we find purpose. That is where we find uh, that we can maintain through the challenges. And yet so many Christians get caught up in the, whoa, isn't God amazing moment and play with the wrapping paper. We never grow beyond our salvation. And I think the invitation to us today from God himself is to think beyond that and to ask ourselves, how is my faith actually being lived? What does that look like for you? The other thing I notice about this passage um, is that the wind and waves distort Peter's view of Jesus. How often do the challenges of life come around us and actually distort our understanding of who God is in the world and how he shows up in our lives? I don't know about you, but I found myself there on several occasions. 
Um, uh, one example of this, um, th this is an image of, uh, it was taken February 7, 2009. Who can tell me what that day was in the, the history of our nation? Anyone? Black Saturday, exactly, Black Saturday. Now, this was a devastating day uh, for our country and uh, particularly for those of us who were, who were close to, to what was being experienced in Victoria. I have to confess to you, on the day, I had no idea what was happening. In fact, on the day, uh, we were out house hunting and uh, we were trying to buy a house and, and such was the, the, the way in which the market was operating at the time. Every open inspection was just packed full of people and we arrived at the last house that we were looking at after, after walking through about 10 houses that day. It was hot, um, my, my, my children were tired and, uh, and I was exhausted and we pulled up at the last place and because of the nature of, of, of this particular house, it was, there were just people everywhere. The street was full of traffic and people. And I, I pulled up and I got out of my car and I took three or four steps toward the centre of the road and got partway across and just thought to myself, oh, good one, you know, Maddie, she's with you. And, and I turned around just in time to see my daughter get out of the car, walk around the front of the car and step out onto the road into the oncoming traffic. And... Uh, and I started to panic and I just was screaming at her, stop, don't go, don't move, don't, don't cross the road, there's traffic. And everything within me was just screaming, don't do this. And then she took, didn't hear me, it was, it was too late. She took a few steps, stepped out onto the road and was, um, was hit by a car that was coming in the other direction. Now, thankfully, it didn't hit her front on, but it, it hit her on the side of the car, the mirror of the vehicle hit her in the jaw. She bounced up off the side and landed on the road. And of course, I ran to her screaming. No, about all I could muster was, please God, no. That was the only prayer I could, I could find. Please God, no. And I quickly checked her as best I could and I picked her up off the road because it was scalding hot and took her over to a, a, a medium strip the ambulance came, she went off to hospital with her mum. I arranged for my youngest daughter to be with some friends and then I went straight to the hospital. I walked into her room, she had a neck brace on, she was pretty bruised and broken. Uh, and uh, and I, I walked over and I put my hand on her arm and I said, it's okay, sweetheart, dad's here. And she pulled her hand away and she looked up at me and she said, dad, if you had just held my hand to cross the road, none of this would have happened. <clears throat> I had a slight glimpse at that moment, just a slight glimpse of how God might feel when his people experience the oncoming traffic of life and get poleaxed in that moment and then have the audacity to turn around and say, if you had just done, then none of this would have happened. Now, what do you think I said to my daughter at that moment? You ungrateful little sod. Who do you think you are? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. No, I didn't say that, <laughs> clearly. I just said, that's okay. It was very painful for her. It was very real. I mean, she was seven years old. All of a sudden, the world she knew was not safe, right? She had experienced the wind and waves in the most remarkable way, and her view of me in that moment was clearly distorted. 
I said to her, that's okay. And so I sat there and stayed with her. I stayed as long as the hospital would let me stay there into the early hours of the morning. She said nothing. I waited till she went to sleep. I made sure I was back the next morning before she woke up. And I sat there. She said nothing to me for the entire 24 hours that I was there. And this lasted for about a week to the point where she plucked up the courage to ask me a question and I was able to respond. That was it. Another day or two passed, the conversation expanded a little bit and on and on and so on and so on until we were restored back to some sense of right relationship. But isn't it true for us, friends, that sometimes our view of God is distorted by how we experience the world? Just like Peter. And yet our God draws nearer and closer and refuses to go anywhere in that moment. Just waiting for us to extend a hand toward him and to be able to say, you know what? I don't understand why, but I appreciate that you are here. You see, the greatest promise that we have from God is that I will be with you. You know who I am if you are bold enough to step toward me and I will always be with you. I will never leave you and forsake you. I will always be with you. That is the true nature and character of our God. And so Peter's view of Jesus was absolutely uh, distorted by the wind and waves. The other thing I love about this story is that Jesus meets Peter at his greatest point of need. He's starting to sink, right? He's starting to, starting to find himself be buried by the situation. And he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. That's another great statement of faith, right? So, so far, here's the deal. Peter has got, if it's you, God, call out to me and I will come. Jesus says, it is I. So, Peter Statement of faith in that, call me out. Another statement of faith when he gets out of the boat. Another statement of faith when he says, save me, because clearly he's desperate. (laughs) And there's that sense in which he has no other option but to scream out for help. How often do we find ourselves in a situation where we need to scream out for help? I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know how you experience the world, but I do know that when we cry out to our God, he reaches back toward us. Uh, So... I'm on a plane and I'm heading uh, toward a particular destination. I'm stuck between what is potentially the bile of the universe about to drop into my lap and this wonderful person for whom I cannot connect with who represents all that is good and wonderful and holy. Do you want to know what I did? Yeah? You want to know what I did? All right. Here's what I did. I panicked. That's what I did. I didn't know what to do. I had no other option but to reach up and hit the button. The stewardess came down, ushered the nun out of her seat. I got out of my seat. The lady to my left went off to the bathroom and did whatever it was she had to do. She came back. We all got back into our seat and continued toward our journey. Here's the thing. The the greatest arsenal in your toolkit that you need to pull out from time to time, really simple, these three words, I need help. God, I need your help. I'm sinking. Save me. I need help. When I am stuck, when I can't bear to get past the the terrifying nature of my circumstances, but I really want to move forward, and I've done everything I can to continue to move toward, and yet I feel engulfed by these circumstances, my next thing that, that I have to do is to acknowledge that that's where I am, and I need help. 
I don't know where you sit today, but I do know that life is sometimes hard. And I do know that every one of us at some point need to get brave enough to ask for help. We are a particularly stubborn bunch, we Australians. (laughs) We don't like to be dependent upon anybody. We like to find our way through the world. And yet, we as the church pride ourselves, we should pride ourselves on being the body, the one who can hold up one when they need to be held. That is God's work in the world. That is God's presence in our lives. In fact, one of the greatest uh, gifts I was ever given was to be able to learn to ask the question, through all circumstances, in whatever it is I'm doing, where is God in that for me? Where is your God? Sometimes the answer to that is, I'm unsure, but I know he's here and I'm going to keep looking because that is where I will find my strength. And so the final thing I want to leave you with this morning, if I can move on to the next slide. Jesus invites Peter to a deeper trust of him. Now, I find this particularly curious. You would have noticed I've pointed out quite intentionally a few times Peter's demonstration of faith, right? Boldly calls out, if it's you, call me out. That's a statement of faith gets out of the boat, that's a big statement of faith, walks on water, starts to sink, calls out again, Lord, save me, another statement of faith. And yet Jesus' first question to him is, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What? What? Are we reading the same story here, Jesus? Are we seeing the same interaction? What is that about? Because I happen to think that Peter exhibited incredible faith. Incredible faith. I feel like this is harsh. Does anybody not feel like Jesus is being particularly savage here? It's like, what are you talking about? If it were me, I would have said, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. Did I not exhibit faith already? Little faith? Who else do you know, Jesus, that got out of a boat and walked on water when you asked them to go? That would be my question. Could it be? Maybe, just maybe, call me crazy, I don't know, go away and read it and work it out for yourself. But here's what I want to propose this morning. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus' question is not related to Peter's faith in him. Maybe, just maybe, Peter doubted himself. Because here's what I know. That the God of the universe has deep faith in us. Think about what he entrusts us with. The coming of his kingdom, the birthing of his church, the expansion of his, of his, of his reign and rule in this world. Yes, it is by God's strength and by God's grace that those things happen. But boy, oh boy, does he entrust a lot to us. And I reckon that he looks into our lives, he looks into our doubts, he looks into our challenges, and he says to us with a full heart and a big grin and a smile, oh, I have faith in you. Thanks for having faith in me, and I have faith in you. If you have ever doubted your ability to live a life of faith, Draw some strength from this, that God has faith in you to do it. And so I want to invite you this morning to seriously consider what it means for you to live that life of faith. I could tell you story after story after story of students who are forced with fairly difficult circumstances in the context of their schools who have stood tall and exhibited a life of faith 
and have seen remarkable things happen. I mean, other young people come into faith. I mean, schools being transformed culturally with acts of kindness and service. And, and there's all sorts of things. I, I recall three-year-old boys at one stage doing something incredible for their entire school level and, and honouring this groundsman that no one had ever thanked after 18 years of service. Eight, year eight boys transforming the culture of their school communities. I mean, don't tell me we can't have the same level of faith. It inspires me to do what I do. And I know that God has placed in you deep faith. Let's stop playing with the rapper, church. Let's stop playing with the rapper and embrace the gift because there is a world that desperately needs his people to stand tall and to live a life of faith to be bold enough to say, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, call me out. I will go. And so, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this beautiful faith community, an incredible group of people who are committed to living your way in this world. I pray this morning that they would find deep encouragement, that they would be challenged, and that they would be given a a new uh, level of boldness to reach out to you and to live for you and to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven as a result. We praise you and thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over to the team.